Hey there, Quackable fans. We got a really good episode for you today, starting off with an interview with Hithliday, the managing editor over Addicted to Quack, and then we invite Michael Preston of Coog Center to help break down the Washington State roster ahead of the big game. Remember, if you like what you hear, we got a YouTube page, we got a Twitter account, we got a Twitch account that you can follow. You can give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, that really helps. And if you really, really want to help out this podcast, we always have a Patreon with hours of duck-related content. All right, on to the show. Quack 12 listeners, an old friend rejoins the podcast. Some would say maybe the third host. Some would say the uh, the film the film studier. That's the, the film analyzer. Yeah, the, the podcast film analyzer. Hithliday One returns to the Quack 12 podcast, the main feed, if you will, not just the, the roster reviews. How are you doing, Hithliday? I'm well. How are you? Oh, I'm doing so great because we beat BYU. I needed it so bad. I and I wasn't. I I, I did think we were going to win. I really did, just because talent seemed to be in Oregon's favor, and I basically threw out the week one results against Georgia. How, how do you put a game like Oregon versus Georgia? in your mind when you're analyzing this team? Do you just like throw it out kind of like the longest run, you know, that a running back would have when you're looking at a game? Do you just throw that out because it's kind of an anomaly or what do you do? I mean, it's not a bad way to look at it. You know, I sort of like each week that goes by in which Georgia just absolutely plasters a team Mm -hmm. makes me think that like this is the second coming of Miami 2001. You Mm -hmm. know, like this may be a historically great team. Um, and to just do what they did to Oregon to everybody. Um, I mean, hell, Oregon's game against them may wind up being the closest game that Georgia plays all year. Like, Oregon was actually moving the ball on them halfway decently. Um, yeah. Just that Nick's through a couple of interceptions. Um, Which wouldn't have been, well, the first one probably wouldn't have been an interception against any other team on our, on our schedule. Uh, amazing yeah. play. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, I mean, it was, and what's crazy was that that was it, that the kid who uh, made that interception, um, Starks, I think is his last I name. I believe so, I, yeah. I, I don't remember because he's a true freshman who wasn't on my radar screen at all. Like when we, um, I, you know, interviewed uh, Georgia folks, like, and I was trying to sort out the defensive backfield, like his name didn't even come up. But like, <laughs> that's how talented Georgia's roster is, is that a DB that you've never heard of that we never talked about as a true freshman breaks in and, you know, has a spectacular game, including a, you know, an, an otherworldly pick. It's just like, yeah, man, you know, like that, <laughs> that's kind of the deal is like that team and, you know, Alabama to some extent, you know, Ohio state, maybe like, a, you know, maybe two, three other teams are like, so, you know, otherworldly, you know, that like as good as Oregon has been recruiting the last several years, like, and, and they're, they're sort of leaving the rest of the pac 12 behind. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that that like there's still at least one more step, you know. Um, and and at these this level is just like that, you know. The talent is so great now. Like there's definitely there's a couple other things to keep in mind about that game too. Like one that I definitely picked up in film study is that like they, they sort of 
like Dan Lanning didn't change his passwords, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's a metaphor, but, uh, but like they, they knew what he was going to do defensively. Like there's a bunch of plays. I tried to put a couple of examples in my article where it's like, they know exactly where the blitz is coming from. And before, you know, just the way that they line up, they know what blitz is coming. And then the way, and the, therefore this throw that would normally not really be there is automatically going to be there. And you can watch Stetson Bennett. Like he doesn't go through his normal progression because that dude would be the third guy in his progression. If he was running that play normally, mm-hmm. he just immediately throws there because he knows what's going to happen. Like, and there's been a couple of comments made afterwards in which that, you know, they basically, you know, confirm that if you know what you're listening for, like, so it's like, okay, you take the world's most talented team and then you give them cheat codes. Like, <laughs> you know, the fact that it was, only a 46 point blowout is kind of impressive there you go and camden lewis made a field goal that was that's that was true a great moment right up until south carolina scored a, like a garbage time touchdown against the like fifth stringers against georgia camden lewis was the only human being to have scored on georgia <laughs> and then in in week two i mean everyone's already said it you know you had basically the exact opposite where what georgia did to us we mm-hmm. did to eastern washington which not not quite but you know, which you should, and, and that was mainly, there was some garbage time points there. But did you see, uh, you know, as they always say, the biggest jump uh, in imp- player improvement could be from week to one to week two. Did you see that marked improvement, or did you just see us going against someone that wasn't Georgia? <laughs> it's really hard to tell. Yeah. It's really hard to tell the difference. Um, yeah, I yeah, I should probably just split the difference and say both. But like, I I honestly can't give you a confident answer on that one. It, like, I, I know that Eastern Washington has been a pretty scary FCS team in the past. Like, they've beaten a couple of Pac-12 teams. And like mm-hmm. last year, I'm not kidding, they had the number one offense in the FCS. Um, uh, hell, last year they were arguably the best team in the state of Washington. Um, <laughs> But then it, this year, they they lost everybody who made that offense go, really, in particular the quarterback, like three of their offensive linemen, their best running back. And, like, um, the I think this is going to wind up being one of Eastern's down years. So, like, I, I like not not that it's a, one of the, the terrible FCS teams, but, like, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that the, even for anybody who's, like, wanted to comfort themselves with, like, oh, but Eastern's a pretty good FCS team. I'm sort of like, I don't think they are this year, or at least not, like, a fantastic one. Um, so, like, yeah, I, I, you know, honestly, I, I'm not – I don't think that there's a team in the country – besides Oregon that played two more disparate opponents in week <laughs> one and week two, like the, the, the gap between them is so enormous. That's right. And then, um, I mean, and then we got, uh, this most recent one against BYU, uh, one I wanted to win so badly, just so, so free, especially mm. to, if, 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 for just one reason to end their Pac-12 winning streak. I didn't want them yeah. to join the big 12 having dominated the Pac-12 for years. Well, Adam, you might recall um, when uh, this summer when we were talking with uh, Jeff Neusser of the mm-hmm. Kook Center podcast because we were doing the Wazoo roster review, I mentioned that like I knew that Oregon was going to play BYU and that I knew that they had played five Pac-12 opponents. And so I was like, oh, good, I can double dip. You know, I, I'll chart all five of those games and get a <laughs> jump start on my you know BYU film study, um, which, you know, I wound up doing. But I also like way back in like October of 2021, I was like, Oregon's going to beat BYU. Um, like this team, it, it, it's, it, it has not only like, 
pretty serious deficiencies in, in in the trenches, in particular the rush offense and rush defense, which which both persisted into 2022. In fact, the rush offense problems got worse because they lost mm. their stud running back, yeah. who's like bailing them out over a lot of like bad blocking problems, mm. um, and Algier, they lost right? their. Yeah, Algier, correct. And they also lost their center um, to the Cowboys, who is by far their best lineman. Mm. Um, so the the um, yeah, you know, I called that one. Not only did I call that one, but I said it on a podcast in June. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, and then the other issue is that like um, BYU's coaching staff is kind of delusional about it. Like, not only are their lines not particularly strong lines, but like mm. they their coaching staff thinks their lines are stronger than they are, which like mm -hmm. there's nothing more dangerous to a football team than delusional coaches who aren't self scouting properly. They have um, faith is what you're saying. Oh boy. Let's, you know what? Let's, <laughs> let's shy away from talking about BYU's <laughs> faith. That's sort of gotten Oregon fans into trouble lately. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, like it, it, um, as satisfying as that win was, I'm, I'm sure it was for more fans than just you, Adam. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I still don't quite think that Oregon's had like a real high quality measuring stick type yeah. of game, you know, for, for that reason that BYU was simply like they weren't leaning into their strengths as hard as they should have. And that they, you know, they had weaknesses that they refused to acknowledge. And like, if you read my article, you know, which I published on, on Tuesday morning, um, you know, run running down the Oregon versus BYU game. Like I tried to put in a bunch of, you know, film clips of like, why are they in a three, down front when Oregon is in 12 personnel like they you know they they can't they they've you know I've got eight games worth of power five data that the seven that they played last year and then the the last their most recent game against BYU which they played right before Oregon of like when they when they back out to this look like they can't defend the run at all and they definitely can't do it if they're not personnel matching if they're going with a you know a light line versus a heavy you know run formation like what do you think is going to happen guys <laughs> like um so you know the the fact that in fact i i, I called it in my friday you know previews the, the comment that i made you know the, the the first comment in the comment section was just like this is going to be a crystal ball looking game you know oregon is just going to hammer them with the run and hit an occasional play action pass over the top because byu is not going to be able to stop it and the comment section is going to go crazy you know it's going to be like oh my god we, we you know we <laughs> we hired a new coach just to you know run the same offense and uh you know, it, it turns out that folks um, are okay with the same offense if it is scoring touchdowns. Exactly. Um, you know, yeah. as long it, as you go under center when it's third and ones, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that was I mean, that was really interesting. They went to an I formation five times for garbage time. One yeah. of them they used for a QB sneak and the other four they handed off to a true freshman. And not only <laughs> were they handing off to a true freshman running back, James, but they were running behind a sixth offensive lineman who was also a true freshman. Uh, right. Josh Connerly. Um, and then on one of the I formation runs, they, they pick it up and then they hurry back up to the line. They don't substitute. They, they keep the six offensive linemen in and the two, um, uh, uh, excuse me, the, the three tight ends, um, uh, but they go to a shotgun spread formation and then they, you know, they throw the ball out of it and BYU is like, in the configuration to stop a run and they're like what's happening i don't understand you know so it's <laughs> like yeah so um now oregon screwed that play up i i 
put it in my article is really weird. Um, like I Nick's, I think maybe rolled to the wrong direction or there was some miscommunication or whatever. So it winds up having to throw the ball away, but it was still like really interesting that they went from, you know, a 23 personnel I formation run to a spread shotgun with three um, tight ends split out. I was like, and six man offensive um, line protection. Um, I was like, Ooh, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, there was, there was like a lot of that sort of like interesting stuff out of Dillingham um, in this game. And those articles we're referring to are duct tape, this particular one, film review of week three, 2022 versus BYU over on Addicted to Quack at SB Nation. Um, you've been talking about Dillingham, uh, ASU's future head coach, potentially. Mm, <laughs> knock on wood, buddy. Yeah, I know. Um, but uh, Dillingham, so... Anything else that you've really noticed that you weren't expecting? I mean, I know that it was hard to expect much of anything from such a new OC, but um, anything that else has caught your eye in these early games? Well, um, this is going to be hard to quantify, um, but when you've been watching film for this long, you start to pick up on how offensive coordinators sequence plays in order to, you know, get the defense to think, you know, a left jab is coming when really it's a right hook. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, it's usually something that OCs, you know, do late in their career. It's usually, it's like something that they develop after a lot of experience. Um, and, I thought the play sequencing that Oregon was doing was really good in this game. And Dillingham's a kid like, um, you know, I believe this is the first time with he's had full control of an offense before. And, you know, um, it, it was, yeah, it was sort of like advanced beyond his years stuff um, uh, to do you know sequencing in that way like like fool the defense like a lot of what Oregon was doing was just like you know Lanning talked about this in his postgame presser that's like yeah you know we're comfortable telling you what we're gonna do and you can't stop it um mm -hmm. but like there's also a bunch of stuff where it's like I want you to think we're gonna do this when really we do that um which like, like I'm gonna punch you in the gut ten times on the eleventh time I'm gonna go for a, a knockout or something like that. Uh, yeah, like King Hippo, that that strategy. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, the King Hippo strategy. Yeah, I you know there's a bunch of stuff. Um, and, and you know it's not just the the obvious run 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 pass. You know it's stuff like like you know starting out with um the the tight ends in a certain formation and then splitting them out and then you know uh, getting them to. Uh, habituating the defense to thinking that when they do that, that it's going to be a screen pass and then you pop a downfield pass. Um, now, the first time Oregon did that was against Georgia. Um, Georgia didn't take the bait and Bo Nix threw an interception, which was yes. foolish on his part. I put that sequence in my my article after the mm -hmm. Georgia game. But like, I, I respect the attempt. You know, I respect the attempt to like sucker the defense. Um, mm -hmm. Like, that's cool. And, and you know, I think it's interesting how many, but maybe I'm just a huge duck homer here and I so, so desperately want to back bow here, but it's, I, I find it very lazy how many podcasts are out there that are just falling back on the, oh, well, you know, Bo Nix, he's, he's really good. Then he has those crazy bad plays. And I, a lot of times I think it's like outside of the very top tier QBs in college football, couldn't that like describe <laughs> any quarterback that has any bit of success like he's really good until he's not very good when he plays against really good teams or something like that like uh that that is definitely a fair point um i guess what i will say is that like it's 
if someone asked me what's the biggest uh, way that Oregon's offense improved from 2021 to 2022, I would say that um, they have a quarterback who throws accurate passes, you know, every time. Um, mm. And I mean, every time, like he hasn't thrown a real errant ball yet um, yeah. in, in three games. Now it's important to differentiate inaccurate passes from stupid passes. Yes. You know, that, that interception that I just mentioned where the defense didn't take the bait and he threw downfield anyway, instead of dumping it off on the screen the way that he should have, like that was a dumb throw. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, that first pick, though, maybe wasn't necessarily that dumb was. And... Yeah, I mean, I would prefer he didn't throw that because I <laughs> think that the coverage was in place so that there was like because it was to seven McGee. Yeah, you know, exactly. who's a short guy. And it's like, yeah, the, the DB is going to be able to trail and jump and knock that ball down mm-hmm. and maybe have a shot at picking it off. Oh, my God, it was a pick, you know? Like, yeah. And now, I think in theory, was... I would imagine it's like it's seven McGee. It's the fastest man on the team. And yeah. I kind of felt like the idea. And then he he hoped he was putting it in a spot where maybe on and but that high yeah. was clearly too much. Yeah. Now, now, if that was a throw to Troy Franklin or one of the other like really tall receivers that Oregon has, like I'd like it a little bit more. Mm. But I, you know, ultimately, I still sort of put that in the category of like that was too risky even to throw. Yes. to an to attempt and so i guess i would qualify you know i i would say i would put it in the dumb category mm-hmm. um but not like egregiously dumb the second interception the one i've been talking about in which he yeah. should have just dumped down the screen pass that was stupid like mm-hmm. he even has a moment i put the clip in my article where like he clutches the ball where he's thinking about it he's like no wait i shouldn't throw this throw <laughs> no i'm gonna do it anyway and i'm like no bo god you know i've done um, that exact same thing on uh ncaa uh 16 where you you know you've got your hand on the y button your finger on the y button you're like oh i definitely shouldn't do that why yeah but Adam, I'm I'm sure you recall when we were talking about Oregon's offense last year that I would talk about the Anthony Brown tax that like his inaccuracy <laughs> will mm-hmm. cost Oregon at least seven points every game, like at least one drive that otherwise with a more accurate quarterback would have scored a touchdown will instead fizzle out because yes. he'll miss, you know, he'll throw an inaccurate ball and like hadn't happened with Knicks, at least not yet. Um, and it's like, it, it may not sound like the biggest thing in the world, but like, God, it's like being able to throw a catchable ball, like that's on time and on target every time. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, man. Yeah. And, and, uh, I mean, I, I'm not the only one that's been super excited about Terrence Ferguson right now, um, with, with his top 10 catch and whatever, yeah. uh, in general, it seems like, I don't know. Uh, the pass catchers are have been really fun to watch. Have been doing a lot. Um, they're living up to their talent. The offensive line too, which a lot of people, I think, national people, have been kind of sleeping on. I mean, this is the same great offensive line that we had last season, you know, mm-hmm. more or less. And uh, I, I don't. Uh, that's and even like you said, even against Georgia in non-garbage time and in garbage time, we were getting the push. It was just and then yeah. there would be some bad mistake that put us back, like the two interceptions, or just being so. Eventually, the game was out of hand, and then we mm-hmm. had to yeah couldn't yeah they had to press, them. and then they couldn't finish drive. But like yeah, no, the offensive line performed very well against Georgia. Um, Oregon still hasn't given up a sack. Um, yeah, I, you know, the, the amount of time that he's had, even yeah. against Georgia, has been so impressive, especially for. A QB that like you said like accuracy is not his problem yeah and the um and, and the other thing is that like you're right that they brought back you know the the five guys who I I would I would classify like a bunch of dudes as starters last year but like the main five they brought mm-hmm. back 
um, and those five warrior starters in the first game, you know, against Georgia by game three against BYU, we've now actually seen, um, you know, not for long, but we've seen uh, several other guys. Um, Marcus Harper, uh, number 55 came in and played. He was the starter at left guard, um, for a good bit during the season. Steven Jones was, was absent in this game. I'm not sure what's up with him. Um, they, they kicked out Ryan walk from left guard, right guard for, for him, for Harper to come in at left guard. And then interestingly enough, during the fourth drive during, um, this game against BYU, they, um, they started, it was a 13 play drive and there's a timeout right in the middle of it after the sixth play. Um, so the first six plays it's, um, uh, they take out walk at right guard and they put in um, Jackson Powers Johnson at, uh, at right guard. Uh, the, the kiddo remember um, who was, you know, all over the field, you know, mm-hmm. as a true freshman last year, including having to play some defensive line in the bowl game because <laughs> Oregon was so depleted in their front due to injuries. Um, so they, they gave, uh, they gave that drive to, to, to Jackson Powers Johnson. Um, and then after the timeout, this was really interesting. The last seven uh, plays of that drive, which, goes on to score a touchdown um they bring in um uh uh, they they take harper out they slide bass uh tj bass from left tackle to left guard he's actually originally was way back in the day started as playing left guard for oregon Mm -hmm. so he was back to playing left guard and they brought in dawson yermillo to play left tackle um who like we've been waiting on you know he was he's like the last of those 2018 four stars um and so like, yeah, here he is in a, you know, in a real game for, I mean, it was only half a drive, but like it, they were comfortable with him. Um, and then they went back to their main configuration for the next two drives. And then after that, it went to garbage time and I couldn't tell you who was playing offensive line. <laughs> I'm, they, they subbed in some other kids, you know, later I noticed uh, just, you know, when I was watching the game on Saturday, but like I've taken a close look at the film. So anyway, like, so that means that Oregon's had. The same guy play center, Alex Forsyth, and the same guy play um, right tackle, uh, uh, um for, for all the um, meaningful reps. But they've had five different human beings played in the uh, two guard spots and two different guys play in the left tackle spot. Um, like, so cool. You know, like it's it's not quite the Alex Mirabal like crazy yeah. drive by drive rotation thing, but like they clearly got a sixth man, a seventh man, an eighth man, um, which it, and they play at a high level. You know, you know, Oregon's eighth man plays better than most Pac-12 teams' first man. So, <laughs> and then uh, uh, on the other side, uh, so for D line, I mean, well, how how do you think those uh, transfers are? are uh doing so far uh, that is rogers and taimani uh they're doing great oh, and um, yeah, yeah and yeah. and uh and riley that's uh, right they, they've got three two two guys from one has um, a touchdown kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah that is a it, 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 uh, yeah that was a funny play um there was an interception <laughs> and then the fumble got uh or the interception got fumbled and then rogers picked it up um and they, they counted it as like a team yeah. touchdown yeah <laughs> was, that one was weird but yeah so um the, the transfers that they have are uh an end uh named rogers who at this point is like something like a starter like he's been yeah. playing you know pretty high up or early in the rotation um and then two different nose tackles sam taimani um, from Washington and then the other guy from Nebraska, uh, Jordan Riley. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys I were expecting 
I was expecting to be behind Popa Amavai, but we yeah. learned that Popa Amavai has, I believe, a broken foot and he's out for the season. So, like, yeah, Oregon's got two transfers. Um, and then the garbage time guy has been the, the true freshman, Sermels, um, at nose tackle. But again, that's more depth than most mm-hmm. three down teams in the Pac 12 have, or, or not most, all, all three down teams in the Pac 12, Oregon has more depth than. And that's because they hit the transfer portal to get you know some good dudes in and 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 recruited you know uh, another one so like good for the ducks you know depth is a good thing to have um how did you see them i mean it was week one you know at their new school but how were how was the Oregon d-line doing against georgia that you noticed was it kind of like yep they're they're a tier above us or holding our own 50 50 anything like that well i you have to the the context for that is you know and i i documented this pretty extensively in my write-up of georgia that georgia's offensive line is the weirdest line in the world um in that they're really good at pass blocking and really bad at run blocking Hmm. um there it's like an air raid offensive line for some reason um and oregon's defensive line performed the way that you would expect a pretty good defensive line to perform against that type of offensive line which is they never really got pressure um but they really effectively you know contained georgia's run game uh, i mean hell oregon outrushed georgia in that game like mm-hmm. um yeah so like yeah yeah i think that defensive line is for real they don't have a cave on thibodeau yeah. Um, and also just sort of philosophically that uh, like even if you go back and watch Georgia in 2021 when Lanning was the coordinator there, um, philosophically, that's not a defensive structure that's predicated on getting stack sacks and creating havoc. Um, it, it's about it's really more of a keep the, the, the play in front of them, keep the quarterback from escaping the pocket and scrambling. And so it's more like a confinement type of pass rush than it is a like penetrate and, and flush the quarterback kind of thing. So, like, mm-hmm. I, I understand that. But then, you know, here's the difference is that Georgia's defensive front last year was made up of like superhuman athletes who were all first round draft picks. And so even though the, the defensive philosophy was not create havoc, they were creating havoc anyway, because <laughs> they were just when and like that's where even though i like oregon's defensive line a lot i think that it is the best defensive line in the pac-12 um with the caveat that i haven't completed film study on every pac-12 team that's sort of more of a gut feeling but anyway like they don't have superhuman athletes like sorry duck fans like you don't have a bunch of first round draft picks um the way that georgia did and so you know combine that with the philosophy of not deliberately you know needing to create havoc and you know that's what you get but like i swear i'm not making this up or trying to make excuses for the ducks look up georgia's havoc rate in the advanced stats um in 2021 look up just their like their fumble generation and uh, rate like they they're middle of fbs in terms of fumble generation they're middle of fbs in terms of havoc rate like just philosophically that defensive structure is not really predicated on creating havoc the way that say like nick aliotti's defenses were predicated on on generating uh you know sacks and 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 pressures that would lead to interceptions um and if they weren't doing that that was a problem with this defense if they're not doing that it's not a problem so i'm not you know i'm not really sweating the the you know that that right now uh something we were sweating going into the season at least i definitely was was uh cornerback defensive backs in general but definitely scary uh spots at cornerback christian gonzalez i mean i got eyes dude is good yeah 
Dude's yeah, that, on that Sundays. Little, I, I didn't have enough time to put. I'm limited to one minute um, in the video compilations that I put in my articles, and so I had to cut it out. But um, I, I wanted to include the entire uh, second angle of that super uh, impressive pass breakup because he turns mm. and looks at the camera and he gives this like sly smile that was like, <laughs> "Oh man, my heart skipped a beat." Like, whew. he's great. He's great. Yeah. Uh, on the uh, other hand, uh, the uh, how do you feel about Bridges right now? I think that Bridges has come in for a little too much abuse from the Oregon fan base. Fair. Some of it is warranted. That very first play, he plays it wrong. He gets his hips flipped. He can't affect the play. It is the incorrect way to play the cornerback position. Um, however, a couple things uh, to note. Uh, one is he slips on that play and might have given up a touchdown, but he has the body control to get up and make the tackle and he stops mm. the touchdown. And that's a drive that BYU ultimately has to punt. Um, there's another play. I put that clip in my article in which he's in trail coverage and it looks like he's burned, but like that's how he's supposed to play it because the way that the route is going to go, mm. it's going to put the the receiver up against the sideline in the corner of the the front corner of the end zone and he's in order to catch that pass he's got to slow up and that's you know that's the time when bridges gets to catch up and stick his hand in there and break up the pass and guess what that is precisely what happened like he actually that's actually a brilliant play mm -hmm. it looks like he gets beat and i understand why fans sort of like went crazy about it but it's exactly how he's supposed to play it so that was really cool um nice. there's another play um it where he is the guy covering a dude going to the sideline and the cut catch is completed and i believe it was a third down so it was like oh no triquois bridges he's at it again but like watch that play man like it's nobody can defend that pass it is the ball is thrown past the sideline the receiver has to bend over at a 90 degree angle remember this his body is shaped like an l <laughs> and he's catching the ball out of bounds, which like if the quarterback can put that ball there and the receiver can do that and has the body control not to go out of bounds and catch that ball. Like, I'm sorry, there's nothing the quarterback can do about that. That's an undefendable pass. Um, so like that's unfair to go out bridges for that. And then the other thing is then, you know, having, you know, done, you know, the film study the entire game, I'm watching all the balls that aren't thrown at bridges and like, He's in effective coverage 95% of the game. Like he really just gets beat on that one first play. Mm -hmm. It's really the only one that you should hold against him. Now you should hold against him. Like he, he didn't play that correctly. And you know, he's not naturally built like a corner. I would really like to see whatever um, reliability factor like tackling or whatever it is that is keeping him as the starter and not manning or florence hmm. or some of these other kids um whatever factor it is that is the separator between him and them i would like the kids please sooner rather than later because you guys are natural corners please catch up to bridges so that you can replace <laughs> him and more importantly move bridges back inside yes. where he's supposed to be because he needs to be the cover nickel guy 
to replace Jamal Hill. Jamal Hill is really useful because he's huge and he hits hard. And for certain tight end routes, he's the only guy on the team that I trust in order to just maul that tight end <laughs> and and stop it. But if it's one of the you know others where he's got to run in coverage, he's just not fast enough. But Bridges would be. Bridges is the guy that you want um, to be playing those, but he can't do that right now because he has to play cornerback right now and he's playing cornerback right now. Well, I'm not certain why, but I have to infer it's because he's more reliable than Manning, Florence, Barkins at all. Um, and so please, you know, please natural cornerbacks, please catch up to, to try quiz bridges so that um, the, the Oregon can realign its defensive back room in a more sane way. But or destroy also the or- blackmail that yeah, he has, I guess. Um, I, I can't imagine that he's demanding to play cornerback. It's not a more glorious position or anything. <laughs> um, if he wants to get drafted, his that's not the position that he's going to get drafted at. He needs to put film on um, of playing, you know, cover, you know, cover corner nickel, um, uh, s- slot corner, I should say. Um, so, like, yeah, I, that's sort of the situation. And an Oregon fan should should cool it, uh, you know, like in general he's he, he he's playing fine um and the other thing is like as you know christian gonzalez is really really good and like yeah whoever is the less good mm-hmm. cornerback is going to get picked on that's the nature of the game like you know uh, uh yeah it's, it's just sense. how it works so like you are probably going to see triquist just get beat again in the future don't don't freak out duck fans like this isn't a stupid defensive staff they wouldn't be putting him on the field if they if he weren't on balance the best option that they've got and so uh on this roster who are some other names that pop out in these first three weeks whether it whether it is good or bad well i mentioned hill i i have been concerned about him um for a while as like if he's your best option um to cover as a nickel that you know that that's concerning um uh uh, because it's just his foot speed's not fast enough um uh let's see um i've been a little disappointed in mace funa um i not a hundred percent of the time um or even like you know uh 20 percent of the time but there's like 10 percent of plays where i'm like mace you have to play this quicker um Mm. and Here's the I mean, the thing is, because of the way that that Georgia embarrassed Oregon in the opener, which was attacking the perimeter, every team is going to try to do that, Um, which means, you know, Mace, your job is 50 percent harder, you know, for that reason. And so, like, yeah, you know, let's uh, let's pick it up. Um, Let's see. I would like to see, you know, I I would like to see somebody turn into Kayvon Thibodeau. (laughs) I guess that's probably an unrealistic expectation. Um, (laughs) Let's see. On offense, do I have any beef? Uh, No, I can't think of any players on offense that I have. Who's your favorite running back? There's no wrong answer, like a Ninja Turtle or something. Bucky Irving's my favorite. Um, uh, the, the, they're all very good. I, I really think that, you know, this, there, it's a very stupid controversy for you. Like Oregon's got too many running backs. They need to pair <laughs> this down. Like, no, they don't. Uh, yeah. you know, Byron Cardwell was the, uh, the number one returning PAC 12 running back in terms of, um, yards per carry average, you know, with a minimum number of carries, um, like, and against BYU, he had, you know, some minor injury and they decided to, to hold him out. Because they've got five running backs yeah. who they all of whom they trust to play at a high level. Like, and so, you know, maybe other teams 
that only have one Byron Cardwell will be like, Byron, I need you to play on that ankle or whatever. I don't know if it was an ankle, but like, but not Oregon. Oregon's to say like, take a breather, dude, you know, take a nap. You know, that, yeah. that's cool. Um, I, I'm having such a hard time. I mean, this is kind of a good thing. I'm having a hard time remember his name, but the running back from Hawaii. Got to see him late. Oh, hell yeah. How can you forget a name like Hassan Ritter? It's German for (laughs) bunny night. It's great. I loved it, man. He was, he he came in with some energy, some moves. Um, I loved it all. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anything else you got to say so far about this team? And we're going to have you come in weekly and check in on it, but, uh, anything right now? Uh, I, my beefs are limited. Uh, there's a bunch of players that I uh, really enjoy. Hey, you know what I really like seeing? Uh, mm-hmm. what I, I, I really dig, you know, Oregon was bringing back, um, three tight ends, right? Two true freshmen, um, last year, uh, Terrence Ferguson and Maliki Madavow, both of whom look really good. And what we were concerned with was like, oh, but that's going to be the end of the room because Spencer Webb is not really a great blocking tight end. What are they going to do with Spencer Webb? And then, he tragically passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it sort of looked like, you know, when they converted Terrell Tillman from linebacker to tight end, it sort of looked like, ooh, they're they're kind of having a problem with tight end depth here. Because, um, like, you can't trust, you know, whether, you know, is Cam McCormick ever going to be healthy? Probably not. Patrick Herbert, you know, missed like a season and a half with an injury. Is he ever, he's going to be the next Cam McCormick. Well, guess what? Um uh, Cam McCormick and Patrick Herbert are both healthy, um, and are kicking butt. Oregon has, Mm -hmm. you know, four great tight ends. Like nobody, Georgia doesn't even have four great tight ends. Actually, now they do. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Georgia's the only other team that's got four great tight ends. Um, uh, uh, like that. And (laughs) Oregon is like comfortable putting them all on the field. Yeah. Um, and like I, there have been a number of different tributes to Spencer Webb. I, I like all of them and am happy for them. Um, I, I'm I'm happy to see the 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 that yellow stripe at the four yard line. You know, mm-hmm. I, whenever I I spot it, I I, I smile. Um, I loved what BYU did and, and ran out with the flag. Um, I you know the, whatever tributes you want to do to Spencer Webb, I, I don't find them maudlin um, or or mawkish at all. Um, but to me, the greatest possible tribute is putting four kick-ass tight ends mm-hmm. on the field, um, and like four is a pretty significant number for that unit, huh? Absolutely. Let's get them all out there. I want to see it, man. I want to see fourteen personnel. Ooh, great against Stanford. Oh, yeah. oh, oh man. man. Oh, that's that was the crazy thing is uh you know Oregon after the Wazoo game this weekend the next game is Stanford which means David Shaw put on the BYU tape and watched Oregon executing the you know 23 personnel jumbo jumbo eye formation they ran it four times they succeeded four times uh David Shaw has got to be green with envy absolutely maybe we Unintended. can get him on the staff who knows <laughs> well thanks again Hithleday for hopping on um it was my pleasure We'll be chatting, I mean, every week we'll be chatting again. And, uh, yeah, go Ducks. Things are looking good. Thanks for talking. Uh, once again, that is Hithloday1, H-Y-T-H-L-O-D-A-Y, the number one on Twitter. And then at or Addicted to Quack is where you can find these articles, Duck Dive. Thanks, Hithloday. My pleasure. It's a good time to get them.
Oregon Ducks fans, if you're itching to pay attention to teams outside your own, come listen to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. Four Pac-12 sickles, trolls, and friends join together to recap and discuss all of the crazy nonsense going around the Conference of Champions. If you ever wonder what's going on outside Eugene, or you just want to hear people talk trash about your rivals, No Truck Stops is the perfect podcast for you. We cover every aspect of the Pac-12 and every Pac-12 discourse you never wanted to hear. Tune in to No Truck Stops for your Pac-12 fix. New episodes drop Mondays at 5 a.m. wherever podcasts are found. Quack, quack, quack. We've got a huge one, y'all. And you know this is a huge one. I mean, they're not ranked. They should be. They're not ranked right now, but you don't just walk over to Pullman and pretend like everything's going to go all peachy perfect because those Cougs have upset us before. We know that they're America's drinking team, especially now that they've claimed that that uh, trophy from Wisconsin. Um, yeah, Wazoo, quite the team. Always fun to play. Always heartbreaking to play, I should say. Uh, we got Hithloday from Addicted to Quack. Uh, the film reviewer over there. How you doing, Hithliday? I'm well. How are you? Oh, I'm doing so good. I'm doing good because we beat BYU. We're going from one kook to the other. And so to find out about this specific uh, style of kook, we've got Michael Preston from Coog Center. That's at Coog Center on Twitter and at RM under Preston if you'd like to follow him. Michael, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Michael, how are you feeling about a 3-0 start? Um, I mean, I, it's surprising, right, um, to say the least. Yeah. And it's so funny, you know, you go back and you look at the stats from that Wisconsin game, and it was just kind of, like, I, I have no idea how they won that football game. And, mm-hmm. like, any of the box scores, like all the stuff Bill Connolly does, it's like, yeah, I, I have no idea how that happened. I mean, a lot of it probably to do with Renard Bell's run back to start the second half, but you had fewer yards per play, you had – fewer everything you like literally the turnovers were even and yet they won uh that football game so it, it feels pretty good being unranked is probably it just kind of feeds into that you know chip on the shoulder mentality that i think a lot of people like to have i'm not that kind of guy like it's just like okay fine whatever like yeah that's just generally how it's going to be when you're wazoo and you're a little underappreciated and that's fine but like so now hearing that intro adam like for us, Tempe, Arizona is like the worst place in the world to play because I feel I feel like we never win. Is that Pullman, Washington for some teams? Because that's pretty that's pretty wonderful to know that now. I would I mean it's kind of both still because yeah. we're still afraid to go down to the desert too. <laughs> I know the Huskies are as well. Oh yeah, no, like I I looked it up a while ago and like the state of Washington, like us and UW are like ten and fifty in Tempe or something like that. Like it's some, it's some like, there's like no reason for it. It's not like we play at like bad times. It's just like, Oh yeah, we, well, and it we includes can't ever the bowl game, there. right? Like the, yeah. there's a, there's like the cactus bowl or whatever that was there yeah. for, uh, for years. And, and Washington teams would still lose when they would go play that in like December, you know, like when it shouldn't have been that hot, you know? Yeah. No, Pullman is scary. It's scary for everybody. Like you, if you look at the home win records over the last five years, it's number one in the PAC 12, it's number one, Oregon, number two, Utah, number three, Washington state. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, yeah, no, but you know, Pullman makes Wazoo punch above its weight class. Like it's, that's for real. Yeah. I mean, I I think there's like, there's a little bit, you know, to it, obviously with the travel, because a lot of teams go into Spokane and it's an hour and a half bus ride down and it's, you got to think about it the whole time you're down there and that little stadium creates quite a bit of noise it's like an inordinate amount of noise like more than anybody would really expect so it's 
it's a unique place to have to go into play. And there's still something too. I mean, like before they built the operations building 10 years ago, even the home team had to run into Bowler. The away team had to run like you had to go out onto the street, down the street (laughs) and into your locker room, into another building. Now you still have to go out through this tunnel. That's like really tightly packed in with the students. So it makes it this, yeah, it's like a weirdly difficult place to play. I'm, I'm, I'm still holding on to the fact that they were like number 20 in the country in like the last iteration of the NCAA football team game. Right. Less duration of that game. Uh, I, I think it's because they get a disproportionate number of night games in Pullman, which means yes. that the fans have had like 15 hours no, to be no, 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 down no. in Bushland. <laughs> no. like... I've never. I've done, I think the tweet I have pinned to my account is, you know, like, because, yeah, you're right. Like we get a lot of night games in Pullman this is a this is a rare exception we've actually had pretty good kickoff times all year um but like oh it's 8 a.m we should probably go get breakfast and pace ourselves there's just the Will Ferrell picture of him like cracking a beer open and it's like nope that's me <laughs> nope let's nope let's start with let's just do Coors Light in the morning guys we can get up to IPAs by lunch yeah fireball is just as good as brushing your teeth oh right? oh no <laughs> no I, I will I'm, I'm like you, you guys get the only kook on the show who like can't handle that like I can't, oh, right. I can't. No, I, can't, I, I would literally rather do any liquor, almost any liquor, than than Fireball. I can't do it. Uh, you're not alone. Uh, yeah, okay, so good. <laughs> it it is back to the air raid for Washington State mm-hmm. um, after two years with Nick Rolovich's kind of fun modified run and shoot. Um, Eric Morris, uh, the offensive coordinator, um, who was a Mike Leach player uh, down in Texas Tech and then later a, a coach at Texas Tech, uh, then the head coach at Incarnate Ward, um, uh, the, the FCS program, and uh, the new quarterback, Cameron Ward's uh, coach. Both of those guys came over uh, to run the air raid um, at Wazoo. It is not Mike Leach's air raid. Um, it, it seems like you know every, uh, every coach who comes off of the Mike Leach tree – you know, keeps the air raid passing tree, but then like tries to hybridize it with some other stuff. I would say that it looks like he's combined some spread option stuff, some tight end usage. Um, do you think that's a fair characterization? How, how do you, what do you think about Eric Morris's version of the air raid and how would you characterize it? I mean, I think you hit one of the points, you know, kind of right off the top there, right? Is that it, it utilizes a tight end, which Mike Leach's air raid still 20 years on does not utilize a tight end. So this is actually the first time Wazoo's had a tight end in 10 years. And Billy Revere's catch against Wisconsin was the first tight end catch we've had in 11 years. So it's, like it's 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 been a hot minute since we've had um, a tight end in this offense, and yeah, I I think there's a lot more. There's some different run concepts in this as well, and not as much of it is on Ward at the line because Morris isn't. He's not, you know, Mike Leach's air raid. He's actually the one calling the play on the sideline, but he's also giving his quarterback a lot of freedom. So you know, whether it's Will, yeah, Will the Rogers, like checks into the run. And well, and so yeah, because that's why when people say, "Well, Mike Leach called a run," I have to correct them. Mike Leach never calls a run. Literally, there are extremely rare exceptions to that, but Mike Leach does not call running plays. It's on you know whether it's Will Rogers now or Anthony Gordon when he was still at Wazoo or um, you know Luke Falk, Gardner Minshew. It's on them to check into that run because you know like Mike Leach will say like he's the one at the line who can see I can't see if that's a good option or not and you had some quarterbacks who were more willing to do it and other quarterbacks like Connor Halliday who just slang the pill all over the yard no matter what um so it's different from the standpoint of you don't have you know the offensive line doesn't have the wide sets like they did like you could you could have a yard in between those offensive linemen but it was also because they were over a yard wide 
Um, so that doesn't exist in this offense. And there's just more, you know, the tunnel screen is unfortunately back. Um, I don't know if I'm in love with that um, just yet. Um, yeah, the so, OL's not yeah. really fast enough to set up. No, and, and, and it kind of reminds me a lot of Leach trying to force that the first couple of years where it just, you know, until you really got the athletes in there that you wanted, it just doesn't work out. Um, but I'm, I'm liking the, you know, the more running in football, which is, I think, good. You have running backs who can do that. And just a, a guy who's more willing to situationally do what is called for, you know, Mike Leach was going to throw the ball, whether the other team could defend it or not. And, you know, you ran into a team like UW who, and I'm, you know, I'm not saying they, they just tailor made their defense to beat Wazoo, but that's just kind of what their defense was tailor made to do. They could get pressure with three and they could, they could man cover for four to five seconds. And by then it was too late. So, but Mike Leach still tried to throw the football every single play. So, well, I, the thing that's interesting is that it, um, with sort of hybridizing a spread option or, you know, RPOs, that's the other thing that yeah. is sort of a misconception. It, you know, Mike Leach doesn't run RPOs um, and everybody who comes off of his tree, you know, wants to include RPOs. And like I, they work, you know, because the air raid is a quick passing offense, um, it, the RPOs work well with it, but it means that you can't do the check into the run by the quarterback thing. You have to, you know, call the run from the sideline or call the RPO play from the sideline yep. because the offensive line needs to run block for it. Yep. And, uh, and so, you know, what happens is, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, it's, it's like, you know, chart all the games, uh, you know, and I, I chart all the Mike Leach games, you know, I, I'm able to compare the data set so far. Um, although, you know, Wazoo's three games is a small sample size and against some weird opponents. But anyway, um, like the RPO, particularly the RPO slant pass is by far Wazoo's most effective um, passing option. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it is much more effective than lots of different like air conventional air raid stuff, at least Cam Ward's ability to throw them. We'll talk about him in a, in a minute. Um, on the other hand, you can't access it unless you're calling the run from the sideline. And like Mike Leach is right about this question, like, uh, um, or at least Mike Leach uh, run the, the Mike Leach era run efficiency was much higher for Wazoo because they would only ever run when the look, you know, was perfect for it. Yeah. Um, and now that Morris is calling runs, their rush efficiency has absolutely plummeted. Um, it's down around 40%, you know, given the down and distance. Um, but you have to set that up in order to have the RPO slant passes, and they do that a lot more often and a lot more effectively. And I'm like, I don't know, six of one happened to this other. I, I, I might take it. Like, what do you think? What do you think about the inclusion of the RPO in this offense? Well, I mean, I, I like it from the standpoint of you obviously have a quarterback who who is very good at it. You've also just got some straight run options where he can, he can suck the ball back and run it himself from the running back. So it's interesting to see it like included in this, because I think to your point, yeah, okay. The running gets a little less efficient, but it also tends to open things up in the passing game a bit more with slant passes. So I'm interested to see where it goes, especially when you get, you know, again, this is, this is effectively year one for Jake Dicker. He was in charge for half of last year, but he did not have his desired coaching staff in place. So now that you have your desired coaching staff in place, I'm interested to see how it goes in a year or two. And I think Cam Ward is probably here for at least next year. I think there was a lot of hype, you know, around him, you know, maybe spending one year here and then jumping to the NFL or even jumping. Hey, no worries, Michael. Don't lose you guys again. Yeah, we were talking about Cam Ward just the last week. Yeah, the last the last that we heard was there was some talk about Cam Ward going to the NFL. 
Oh, okay. So it was basically that, you know, like, so, you know, there was some rumor that maybe Cam Ward is heading to, you know, the NFL after the season. I don't think that's really going to be the case. Um, you know, we haven't seen a lot of the, you know, kind of the hyped up who he was at Incarnate Word um, before this. I think some of that has to do with adjusting to FBS game speed, but you still have a guy um, in Ward who can run that RPO that you were talking about where he can pull it. You know, he can either hand it to the running back, he can pull it and try to pass, or he can also run. Um, I'm more interested to see, you know, some of those run options where he's given the option to either pull it and run, you know, that are designed either to hand it off or to run it. Um, but so far, that slant pattern with Renard Bell has really been working miracles um, in the RPO game. If Renard Bell is healthy this week, I hope he is. He didn't play much against Colorado State. And it looked like he got hurt um, near the end of the game. If he's able to be in, um, that'll be big. Robert Farrell as well um, looked really good in the slot. Um, last week, that was his first game. Uh, he's a Farrell is the other guy who came in from Incan Award, right? Yep, he is. Yeah, he came with Morris. Um, and he was originally um, a walk-on. So the guy has kind of walked on his way to a scholarship at a Pac-12 institution, which is pretty darn impressive um, as far as I'm concerned. So um, it'll be interesting to see how he does uh, this week as well. So I, I think kind of circling back to your point, is it a fair trade-off um, so far? Yes, but that kind of remains to be seen if the offensive line doesn't get any better as the year goes on and they kind of got their lunch eaten against Colorado State. Uh, yeah, I, I want to talk about the offensive line in a minute, but let's stick with Cam Ward. Um, you know, it's I, I thought it was clear from the spring game tape. Like, he's short. He's got a three-quarters delivery. His footwork is a mess. Like, I, you know, I, my opinion's not particularly high on ward i think the couple of throws that he can nail like that slant throw he has a real good far hash like he he's got some real zip on the ball his release is super fast which is like that's what you a three quarters release gets you which like given how much pressure is coming into his face he's pretty cool uh, you know, he, he can throw the ball while pressure is in his face. Um, but when he starts scrambling, it's sort of like you hold your breath, you know. Yeah. I, I you know, when I when I was on your podcast, I, I characterized him as a, a first read quarterback. Um, I, I sort of think that's a combination of like, yeah, there's to some extent like he he's not really getting to his second progression. And I think another part of it is just like the offensive line isn't buying him enough time, even against yeah. teams like Colorado State and Idaho. Um, to to you know even if he could you know get to his second read i don't have a whole lot of reps of him doing so because the the pass rush is home like i you know the 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 offensive the passing uh, offensive efficiency is underwater for the first time i've ever charted wazoo um and i, I don't know man like i i this has got to be a weird experience for wazoo fans right <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, certainly, right. Based on the last, you know, ten years or so, I think we even talked about, um, you know, for being as small a school without, you know, like the big history that a lot of um, other institutions have. Wazoo's got a pretty good history of quarterbacks, and kind of watching a guy, especially in the last ten years, it's like one read, maybe two. Oh crap! I got a bail, and it's not encouraging from the standpoint of even when he is getting protection. Um, he's he's just bailing out because he doesn't trust it and i'm it's it's discouraging from the standpoint that you know like when he is getting protection he's still only making one or two reads and he's bailing out um now granted to your point the offensive line hasn't been doing him a ton of favors they lost three starters from last year mm -hmm. grant stevens at right guard even took over for the starter at right guard so really it's four new starters 
um, along that offensive line. And to be quite frank, they are not nearly as good um, as they were last year. And it's been a pretty precipitous drop from Mike Leach's last offensive line class in 2019 to now where at the backup left tackle is a former Idaho basketball player. Hmm. And I'm going to repeat that. He's a former Idaho, but he was not good enough to play basketball <laughs> at Idaho. So he decided to play football at Wazoo. Now he's 6'11", which is kind of fun, but by the same token, it doesn't leave you like totally confident in the state of that offensive line. So I'm going to be... I mean, you're going to be worried about them probably all year. They're an injury away from going from serviceable to to god awful, and I, I use serviceable kind of loosely here, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's plenty of room for improvement. I think Clay McGuire is probably the perfect coach for them right now. Clay McGuire was never a great recruiter, but he was a really good offensive line coach when he was at Wazoo the first time. So if there's anybody who can kind of whip them into shape, it's him. Um, but yeah, so far Ward, I, I don't know if it's a game speed thing coming up to FBS or what it is, but he he is bailing out fast and he's making really bad decisions when he's scrambling. That interception he threw on Saturday against Colorado State was really, I was yeah. watching it from the stands and I was like, please don't throw that. Please don't throw it. Please don't throw it. Oh, he threw it. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and it I, looks, and I mean, it looks similar to the Wisconsin interception too, yeah, like, or one of them, uh, where it's just like, you know, pocket breaks down, he scrambles, sort of steps up and it's like, oh, I can see what you want to do, but you shouldn't do it because the safety well, and, is going to come yeah. over up. There he is. And I think, I think that's, a, you know, again, kind of part of adjusting to the speed because, okay, maybe when, and I don't even know who the heck our incarnate world played, but when, well, when you're at that level, not Idaho, that was no. another FBS team, you know, like no. The, no. The, I don't, I don't buy the FBS game speed argument because like he struggled against Idaho and that's, mm-hmm. I mean, they used to be an FBS team, but they haven't been for some time. Like, I, yeah, man, I, I just think, I, I think this is it, you know, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think, I, I don't know about game speed or, or I don't know about like evolution. I, I think it's more like that skill set could tear it up in the FCS and it's not going to tear it up at the, at, at yeah. the next level. Um, and, I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess I really only care about this to the extent that they play on Saturday, which is a couple of days from yeah. now. But like, I'm, I, if I were a Wazoo fan, I'd be worried that like you're seeing what the offense is for the, the rest of the season. Do you think I'm yeah. off base? No, I mean, I think we're a little worried here, you know, I mean, a quarter of the way through the year, and it certainly hasn't been impressive. Um, I actually think my my conspiracy theory is that's part of what's led to um, them not being ranked is they are winning games in an untraditional wazoo way, which is they've only given up effectively 31 points mm-hmm. um, through three games. They did give up a, that extra touchdown to Idaho, but it was a scoop and score. So I'm, I'm not counting yeah. that against the defense. Um, you know, they're winning it defensively. And that is really weird for wazoo the last 10 years. But I also am worried because from the standpoint of if the offense continues to languish like this, the defense can't be out there. You know, they were out there for almost 40 minutes, 40 minutes against Wisconsin. That's too long. Right. And it's because Wazoo doesn't have a run game. Not really. Anyway, no, they can't they can't play the, you know, many teams that are defense led teams, which sort of perversely Wazoo is this year. Like they rely on their run game to, to give the defense some more time to breathe, to, to, to slow the game down and, and to run out the clock. Wazoo can't do that. You know, Wazoo's got to go, you know, all out on, on offense. It's why the Wisconsin one was so weird. It's like, yeah, you know, uh, well, for all that reason, <laughs> I, I want to talk about the offensive line. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, um, 
I think that the left tackle, Jarrett Kingston, he grades out the best for me. He was last year's left guard, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I'm kind of not wild about the rest of this group. Um, uh, Fafita on the right side, the the right tackle, he, the, that was also a guard sliding over to tackle, right? Um, yeah, and he got his lunch eaten pretty good in the second half on Saturday. Yeah, yeah it was. Um, yeah, it's, it starts to get ugly. Um, uh, Stevens, the the right guard you mentioned, the the, the transfer, ironically from. Colorado State, I believe. Um, Northern Colorado, actually. Northern oh, Colorado. Northern Colorado. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know why about that guy either. Gomnus uh, is sort of a split. Like, he, he's decent in pass pro. He's not a great run blocker, um, although I, who, who really cares about run blocking? Like, uh, and, you know, God, yeah, exactly. Like, if if one of these guys takes an injury, I think it's like it goes from, like, this is no good to, like, oh, my God. Um, like, is there... I don't know. Is it, it, it? Is there any hope that this line is going to improve? Like <laughs> I was going to say, I was, I was, I was thinking, I was like, I think you're searching for. Is there any way they get better? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess. Yeah, I'll, I'll just be blunt about it. Is there any yeah. way this line gets better? Because I kind of think the answer is no. I mean, I think, I think if there is some hope, it's like I said earlier, it's that Clay McGuire's involved, right? And that he, you know, while he wasn't an excellent recruiter under Mike Leach, he was a heck of a coach and he could improve guys. So I think that from that standpoint, that's good. There were some runs on Saturday that they blocked exceptionally there well. They, I mean, it was so them. crazy. It was that yeah, like, I, I it know was the, like the run that you're talking about. It's this off tackle power mm-hmm. run where yep. it's like all of a sudden, you know, the clouds part and, and God's light shines on them and they blocked <laughs> that perfectly. And then literally yep. the next, the next snap is the exact same play call and they go right back to, to, gooing it up again <laughs> well and I almost, yeah well and i almost wonder too if that has something to do with how morris has been calling the offense the last couple of weeks because what they've started doing is if they pick up a first down they will run tempo and mm-hmm. especially on a large gain they've been getting up to the line fast to try to run a play now i don't think any play after that has worked out particularly well but at least what it does is it doesn't allow the defense to sub and it you know keeps them in their same set on the field now not running the same play again would probably help things um from that standpoint but i yeah i mean look to your point and and i think the other thing is under nick rolovich for a year and a half the recruiting at that position really suffered and we're kind of seeing how far that can go from a real strength of a program to really a a huge weak point um you know was his offensive line really wild Wazoo's offensive line recruiting has been fascinating to me because for a long time with Mike Leach, he was recruiting dudes who were just enormous, like huge guys who could really only pass block. And so they weren't rated particularly highly because, you know, the rating services want you to be, you know, to to do everything. Um, But Leach was like, oh, what a value pickup. You know, you're a five star to me because all I care about is your your pass blocking ability. And then it seemed like I think like the last two years under Leach, they switched to a different offensive line coach and they were recruiting. And they were recruiting sort of like different kind of bodies. And I think this is the reason why I, I'm sadly, you know, skeptical that this line is going to improve. Is like, I don't think these body types are the correct ones. Like, um, at least for running the, the air raid, you know, they're sort of like mm-hmm. jack of all trade master of none body types. And so like, well, they can't pass block very well and they can't run block very well. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's a problem. <laughs> um, yes. Yes. And I, and I think, you know, kind of to that point is, 
you know, you had Mason Miller come in who who could recruit, but again, once they got there, you couldn't coach. And you got away from kind of those body types that worked really well with Mike Leach's air raid offense. And, you know, it, although Eric Morris's air raid is certainly not identical, it's extremely similar in a lot of ways in that you still need guys who are going to pass block. The best example I have of anybody, like the most, you know, of Mike Leach looking at a recruit and going, nope, that's, a, you know, to your point, that's a five-star to me is Abe Lucas. Mm-hmm. Abe Lucas is starting at right tackle right now for the Seattle Seahawks. And when he got recruited in high school, he was 6'5", 215 pounds. And Mike Leach went, yep, I want that. And he put about 90 pounds on him. And because he could move laterally so fast, and that's all they kept working on was his feet and getting him to move side to side as fast as he could, he became arguably one of the greatest offensive linemen to ever come through Washington State and made up for the fact that Liam Ryan was a walking, holding, and false start penalty on the left side. Mm -hmm. So it helped a lot. But right now, they just don't have any of those guys. And again, it's, it's really jarring to go from this is very good to, oh, my God, what are we going to do if one person gets hurt? Now, granted, that's the case for a lot of college teams on the offensive line because, you know, like, okay, the second and third stringers are definitely not nearly as good as the first, but it's especially pronounced at Wazoo right now um, because, yeah, there's so much inexperience up there. There's so, and, I, and I don't like that they need to suddenly get experience um, against Oregon this week and then against USC in a couple of weeks. It's, it's not particularly – uh, good uh, to throw them straight into the fire, although they handled Wisconsin okay. Um, but that offense still didn't look great in that game. And again, despite coming out with the win, it was just like, a, well, how did that? I don't really care how it happened. It was wonderful that it did. But yeah, it was, it, it was interesting. Wisconsin used an interesting defensive strategy, J- Jim Leonard up there, uh, where they were playing a 1 4 defensive structure um, and usually backed one at least one of the ILBs out. So they were, you know, they, they were not deliberately trying to put a lot of pressure on the quarterback they were doing more of the like you know back out a lot into pass mm-hmm. coverage you know kind of deal um I, i'm not sure oregon's gonna do that i'm actually really curious to see how oregon um decides to play this because the other factor is for a long time when mike leach was coaching the air raid every time i published an article that was you know when oregon was about to play wazoo i would like put in big block letters do not blitz this offensive line uh because you're not going to get home fast enough the whole point of the air raid is that it's quick passing and you've just taken out a dude from coverage and that's the dude that you need and like um and and this offensive line was going to pick it up and in fact it was bizarre on my tally sheet that they um the less pressure would get through with blitzes than a four or even three man rush it was kind of like you know it was nutty fast forward to 2022 um i am not really thinking that i should put in my article don't blitz this offensive line i no, you should yeah you should do that yes um <laughs> all right well you've answered my question let's switch over and talk, yeah. to the, talk about the defense Hey, podcast listener. Hey, come you. over here. Come yeah. over here. Get over here. Yeah. Punk. Nice headphones you got in here. Oh, yeah, I like those, Chevy. Be a shame if something were to happen to those headphones, eh? <laughs> Stomped them on the ground, eh? Be real easy to avoid that smashing if you went over to the Quack 12 Twitter account. And gave us a little follow. Just a little follow, that's all we're asking. 
And hey, look at that. I hear you're listening to your new podcast apps in your car, huh? Driving home, making the long journey feel a little shorter, eh? Is that yeah. what he's doing there, bud? <laughs> yeah, turning your three-hour drive into a nice little vacation, huh? Be a shame if your car ended up on the bottom of a lake. Splash. Splash maybe with you in the trunk of it, huh? Glug, glug, guzzle, guzzle. Maybe all that can be avoided with a little trip to the quack. 12 page on Apple Podcasts. All you got to do is go to Apple Podcasts, Quack 12, give us five stars. Yeah, the internet, you got it, bud. Five stars. Leave us a little comment. Help other people find it. Maybe it'll help people find you when they find out that you're gone missing if you catch my drift. You seen the posters on the telephone poles? Yeah, those are those are people that didn't give us fucking five stars. Some of them did, and we did it anyways. And then uh, you know, uh, oh hey, hey look at look at this podcast listener on their long inner inner uh, continental flight, making things not so bad, not wanting to hear that baby by covering it up, wah wah, so they say, putting on them headphones. Trying to get the sky waitress's attention. Get over here. Give me more of that Quack 12 podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why don't you? Yeah, you want some more of that Quack 12 podcast, don't you? Yeah. You want to buy some more from us, don't you? Get it. Otherwise, get you know, because if you don't buy this Quack 12 podcast insurance, you never know when your plane's going to go straight down into the water, into the old Atlantic, Blash. never to be seen again. Glug, glug, guzzle, guzzle. In case you don't want to be th- part of the rock and roller club of the bottom of the fucking ocean, then I recommend you go to the Quack 12 Patreon. Come on, come on. Why don't you go to the Quack 12 Patreon, give us five smackaroos, and for that we can forget about the whole nasty business have you on your way. We'll forget about it. We'll forget about it, all right? Five measly dollars. That's all I got. Now listen up, punk. Because it looks like you're not seeing so good right now. My boss is talking to you, chump. Aren't you, chump? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. All right, let him him go, Mikey. Let him go. In the bottom of the fucking ocean. Ayo! Quack, quack. Uh, this is weird. <laughs> the defense is pretty damn good. Yes, it is um, a little weird. Yes. I, uh, you know, I, I was writing back in 2020 when Jake Dickert uh, first showed up and then um, implemented this sort of scheme change. Um, not sort of, it's definitely a scheme change. It's four down front. It's one of the few four down fronts um, in the pack 12. Um, it's a, it, it retains the speed defense because, well, it would have to given the, the dudes. Um, I, in particular, I, I love all of these ends. Um, everybody whose number ends with a zero, uh, 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 10 Ron Stone, 80 Brennan Jackson. I think those two yep. I would characterize as the starters. Um, 20 Quinn Roth, who I think is a walk on. Yep. Um, he is, he's yes, really well. well, a former walk on. I believe he's on scholarship now. Okay. And uh, 50 Lawrence Faltea, um, you know, also digging that guy. Uh, like it, they're really fast um off the edge um they were really like embarrassing wisconsin uh simply because like they were getting their they, they were just like immediate off the snap and getting inside the block um 
and then on top of that the other thing that's been sort of interesting for me to watch and like i don't this sort of blows my mind i don't know if it blows your mind i want your your, your take on it is that like they're not just winning with speed like frequently when i see them beat a tackle it's not like running around the edge it's like jacking him up off of his feet shoving him out of the way and then beelining the ball like I'm sort of like, you know, Ron Stone's 247 pounds. How is he doing that? I, that's a great looking question, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't know how he is doing it. I know he's probably, since Hercules Mata'afa, probably the most skilled defensive lineman to come through Washington State. And that's a name that, you know, should get a lot of respect at Wazoo um, in that you know, the last time Wazoo had a defense this good was 2017. And they also had a very bad offense. And I'm, I'm still convinced you can't talk me out of it, that they would have gone to the Rose Bowl with even a mildly competent offense and quarterback that year. But Luke Falk apparently turned into a senior um, in more ways than just his year of eligibility that year. Um, so it, it's it's so interesting because I think, you know, to your point, that Wisconsin game was Wisconsin. You know, they were they were committed at first. We are going to run this ball up the middle. Wazoo just packed the box with with eight and went fine. Do it, and know, it, was, was so... it was two three yards at a time. Right. Well, I was I was saying in the middle of the second quarter, I was sitting there watching the game with my wife, and I was like, "Why are they doing this? Like, what are they doing? You, you're just going to keep running into the same thing every time." Okay, so fine. So after that, they start pulling some guards. They go into the they go to the edge. They start picking up some yards, but that almost immediately stops when Ron when they just start flowing, and you're just not going to beat Ron Stone, Brennan Jackson, Quinn Roth, all those other guys outside laterally generally you're just not going to do it i thought that wisconsin you know wisconsin the like the uber run team right like i had a chart you know oregon played wisconsin has now played wisconsin in two different rose bowls while i've been writing articles anyway and like uh you know i you know i really came to appreciate wisconsin's you know run game and, and the way they use their offensive linemen um and like their run strategy was so screwy to me Exactly as you say, like outside runs are really effective. Counters are really effective because the way that this the way that here's let me phrase this in the form of a question. Um, My opinion is uh, set aside the like stacking the box stuff, because I also think that Wazoo was doing that. But 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 set that aside and just talk about the defensive line technique. The way that they're doing is that they're slanting immediately. They they detect which way they think the run is going and all of them in sync that should be credited. They, They definitely like all read it the same way they all slant immediately that way and where teams have been really effective is running counters and other bend back type plays you know get the the d line moving to the let's say left and then you stop and and run to the right and then all of a sudden the defenses run themselves out of the play like it should have been obvious that wazoo's defensive line is is uh vulnerable to that sounds like you agree um and yet wisconsin only did it like three times during you know this team that wants to run the ball 80 times a game only did it three times just like what is wrong with you guys and the rest of the time what they wanted to do was run up the middle against eight man boxes which like what do you where's your rpos you know where's your play action passing right well i mean a graham mertz and i like i don't know if you still don't trust the guy when it's been three years now you just don't trust the guy to throw the football apparently um but yeah i mean like look to your point like i think that the way they win is because you know if you're going to counter against them um that seems to be the way to do it right but if you're not going to do that then they're just going to win 
the line of scrimmage generally. And it's it's really jarring to to do that and to see that that you know they don't, you know, and not not just their ends, they rotate through those tackles oh, yeah. on a pretty regular basis. And I think that's part of the reason why they were able to be on defense for 40 minutes against Wisconsin and still win. And it's because they were literally rotating bodies in and out because A, Wisconsin's gonna sub on every play. So you have a chance to sub on every yep. play. And there, there, you know, there's obviously there's always going to be a drop off when you go down the depth chart a little bit, but there's just not it's not as precipitous as we would expect. So they're able to keep good, fresh bodies in there yeah, and definitely. they're still able to do exactly what they need to do. It's it's been wild to see it. I, You know, I think the defensive line was decent last year, but for them to now be such a strength up front, it's it's really been great to see. And I yeah. think that credit goes to Brian Ward and his staff on that side of the ball for. You know, it's not like a lot of these guys were guys they recruited. I think Nusi Milani came here from uh, Virginia, and I think that's about the only transfer mm-hmm. um, they've got up there. And it's 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 really a credit to them that what they've done with what they have um, has been nothing short of incredible. Well, I, I I trace it back farther than that because, you know, I was writing back in 2020, you know, how much I liked uh, this defensive line. Um, you know, I think I think it's Dickert, you know, frankly, I, yep. you know, like I don't know how wild Wazoo fans about are about having a d- defensive head coach. But, you know, I will tell <laughs> you, like, if this doesn't work out at Wazoo, like he's going to be a pretty hot commodity for as a D.C., yeah. um, um, especially for schools who sort of have a recruiting profile that look like Wazoo's. Um uh, yeah, I mean, it's a four down front and, and they seriously rotate, you know, up to 10 guys who are there's no real drop offs, um, yep. you know, when guys come in, uh, y- you know, I-, I am curious to see how they will handle um, a-, a run game that, you know, so so I guess what I'm saying is that, like, even though I think that Wazoo's defensive stats look great and they look great on my tally sheet where I do a bunch of controls and adjustments to, you know, um, to to make it not just the, like the, the raw stats, which can often be misleading, like it looks great on my tally sheet but i am still a little curious about if this is for real because i think there are smarter ways to attack it than wisconsin did and the other two opponents are you know goober opponents um right do you are, well, think- do you feel the same way that the, the, this defense isn't ex- isn't like set in stone proved itself yet well, I, I don't think anybody's proved themselves in three games, right? Like, I, I you're sure. you're a quarter of the way through the season, and I think, like you and I talked about earlier this week, this is kind of this is kind of the first week where both Oregon and Wazoo can look across the line of scrimmage and go, "Oh, hey, you look like me." Like mm-hmm. you, you, I, I know a program like you. Like this, this is a good bar to measure myself against, um, because you know you could play that Wisconsin game ten times and Wazoo probably wins once or twice, um, and they they happen to get pretty lucky um, in a lot of and you and you need luck, you know, in a win like that. But I, I, you know, I, I don't think you can really say three games in. I, I think the defense. I think the one kind of declarative statement you can make is that the defense is the strength of the team. Right. You, you can say that this defense is probably better than this offense and that to win games this year, they are going to need to play very well um, in virtually everyone, because I, I don't have confidence in this offense to score more than about five touchdowns. And, and again, that's, you know, even against a not great defensive opponent. So um, I, I, I think you can say that they are better than they were last year. I think you can say they're the better unit. They're the better side of the ball. I don't think we can say yet that they're this like otherworldly, um, you know, defense that we haven't seen at Wazoo um, in at least five years. I don't think you can say I, I see a lot of people making references to the Palouse posse of 1994. And I think three games in, we, you know, it, it is, you know, it is the year 2022. So we're into hyperbole a little bit, a little quickly. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think they're there 
yet. Um, give me another, if I kind of like to measure the season in quarters, um, if they can get halfway and this team is, let's say, you know, five and one or four and, you know, four and one, four and two or five and one um, after that SC game. And this defense is still not really yielding a lot of, you know, you know, pretty low yards per play and a low point total per game. You can probably at that point say they are what they are. Um, but at this point, I want to see them. I want to see them against Oregon. I really want to see them against USC. Cal is Cal, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of these these two games against Oregon and SC are kind of going to be real big measuring sticks for how good they truly are. And we're going to find out um, in a big way, probably um, this week and in a few weeks. You know, I actually, we I just bemoaned the, the Cal game, but but historically, Cal Wazoo has been a weird game. Like, oh, seems dude, like every I, year. Wait, hold on. R- remind me, can I cuss on this? Can I cuss on this yeah, podcast? Only I cool kids absolutely. Okay. Fucking we, we, we call it the Cal bullshit, right? Like, <laughs> it's, it's like, like something must be weird and bad about like do you guys remember in 2014 they returned two straight kicks for a touchdown yep. and then we missed a 19 <laughs> yep. yard field goal at the gun yeah like and, and that's like the third weirdest game we've played against them in the last 10 years last year was weird as hell every every year you play cal mm-hmm. is was bowers like, doing the backflip in the end zone was that against wazoo am i crazy uh, I don't even remember. Anymore. Oh, I think Dude, that was I don't know. I, tr- I try to forget all. I try to forget the Cal. <laughs> like it's like, like right. it just it, it doesn't ever matter against Cal. Like it doesn't matter how good or bad both team is. It's just like something, like some like the football gods are just like I want this weird thing to happen, and they drop it into the game, and it's just like, <laughs> oh yeah, sure, that makes sense. Why not? <laughs> all right. Um, I want to jump all the way to the back end of the defense, and then we'll work mm-hmm. our way back up. Um, because the other unit that has sort of uh, raised my eyebrows, um, and, and was something that I was not expecting at all, was the um good cornerback play out of the starters, uh, Derek mm-hmm. Langford and Chow Smith Wade. Um, I think Langford's a little better than Smith Wade. Um, but I, 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 I gotta be honest. I was not expecting either one of them to be, um, real good cornerbacks because Wazoo never gets real good cornerbacks. And I've been watching Langford for a long time and I don't think he was at this level in previous years. And now are you guys saying, are you guys saying that Chima Wachiku wasn't an all pac 12 guy who ran a (laughs) five, five 40 in that position? No, look, I and Langford, I think Langford was pretty okay last year. You know, he like he wasn't going to blow the world away, but he wasn't going to make any humongous mistake. And I think that's the most important thing. Whether Shaw Smith Wade plays this week or not is a question mark. We don't know if he's healthy enough to play. Kind of the same goes um, for Jordan Lee there. But yeah, I think they've both been a pretty pleasant surprise um, on the outside in that, you know, I'm, I'm not really worried about any gigantic mistake smith wade did make a big one against wisconsin mm-hmm. grabbing a receiver with an overthrown ball that drew a drew yeah. a flag that still shouldn't have been a flag but it was but it, anytime you do that it's just going to attract yeah. the attention of the back judge exactly. um so i'm i'm interested to see i mean a if smith wade plays we're going to hope that he does right um but then b this is kind of that really big first test um in pac-12 play and see how they hold up um against a team that you know, again, like we said, you look across the line of scribbage and it's like, oh, hey, you look like me. You look like someone yeah. I should judge myself well, against. I mean, I, I don't want to sound like too homerish or anything, but I do think this is the best passing offense that Wazoo will have played in their first four games. Like, is that? No, I don't. Fair? I don't think, dude. You, it, it could be, it could be the number eighty ranked passing offense in the country, and it would be the best passing <laughs> offense Wazoo's seen in their first four games. Um, I uh. We'll we'll keep our eye on Smith Wade and what what's Jordan Lee's situation? 
Uh, don't know yet. Uh, we, okay. we, he's still, uh, Dickert was pretty cagey about it, um, okay. this week about whether he's going to play or not. I, um, the reason that I, uh, started off talking about how surprised and pleasantly surprised that I was about Langford and Smith Wade is that I, I don't, in my opinion, and I want to hear if you disagree. In my opinion, this isn't the unit got better, like the coaching staff like took a jump and and that you know they all came together as a unit or whatever. I think just Langford, um, Langford personally just got better like over all these years, and Smith Wade's a pleasant mm-hmm. surprise. I am not wild about the backups, and I think if they have to rotate or if somebody's out with an injury, like that you can't count on the same cornerback mm-hmm. performance. Do you think I'm off base? Probably not the exact same, right? I think Hicks looked pretty good um, in 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 substitution for Lee. I mean, certainly not Jordan Lee by any means, but he looked um, pretty decent back there um, as well. I think it's just kind of always been, you know, again, like we talked about with the offensive line, it's been natural that Wazoo their depth is always a little suspect because. Because, yeah, you, you just don't recruit as well. So the drop-off from the starter is, is sometimes substantial. They've looked okay at times, um, uh, you know, against against these teams. But, again, they have you, you haven't seen a really big test so far like you will see um, against Oregon. I, Bo Nix is definitely the best quarterback they'll have seen. And this receiving core is probably, again, the best um, that they've seen so far this year. So we'll find out a lot about them in the 60 minutes they play on Saturday. But, you know, I, I think anytime you go to the, to the next part of the depth chart, um, especially at Wazoo, there can be some drop-off. I think they've been pretty... Well, it's just you know, that there wasn't in the defensive line. And, like, that's what I'm right. starting to setting yeah. up as a contrast. Yeah. It's like, I yeah. don't think... Even if they took some injuries, which are knock on wood, I'm not hoping for that or anything. But, like, One. even if the defensive line took some injuries, I think they'd be just fine. But if, like, if Langford's not available, I think the, the cornerback unit really suffers. Um and I like, and on top of that, I I think here's the other question that I want your opinion on is like I think the safeties are are vulnerable, um, in pass coverage. I would and the linebackers I think in pass coverage anyway are too. Um, I would probably be attacking the middle of the field, um, quite a bit if I were a passing offense going up against this team. What do you think about that take? I think we don't know enough about them yet, you know, against a passing yeah. offense. So I, I would say my inclination um, is to at least agree with you from the standpoint that, you know, again, if Graham Mertz is the best quarterback they've seen all year, then that's probably not mm-hmm. too indicative. Um, you know, it's it's not too difficult to, de- to defend Graham Mertz um, over the middle. I think Dan Henley is okay in coverage. He's definitely much better attacking the football um, and attacking the running game. And I think that – you know, the focus so far for teams, you know, trying to beat Wazoo has, you know, it's been very, very different. Idaho had a lot of high variance plays because they are an FCS team and they can go high variance against an FBS team. Wisconsin's Wisconsin and Colorado state offensive line is so, I mean, God for as rough as Wazoo is, is Colorado state's now given up. It's 25 sacks in three games. Yeah. Number 131 out of 131. Yeah. So, so we haven't really seen that test again. And I and I, I mean, third time I'm bringing up the point of you look across the line of scrimmage and it's like, oh, that team looks like me. And mm. you're like, this is where you kind of find out exactly how good or bad they are and how well prepped they are in this game. Because truthfully, you know, truly, we don't know how good they are at doing that yet. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to get into the hyperbole of Plus Posse stuff. They've looked very, very good through three games, but they have probably not seen an offense as balanced as Oregon's 
um, so far. And certainly, even if Idaho and Colorado State were, you know, quote unquote, balanced, they certainly weren't as skilled as Oregon's offense. I want to know what your assessment of the linebacker unit is. You mentioned Diane Henley, um, the the transfer from uh, Nevada, number one. Um, I've also been seeing uh, Travion Brown, number 82, who's been around for a while. Um, Looks like he sort of stepped up uh, into starting role this time. And then I've also been seeing Maigoa and Thornton um, as backups, I think. Um, I, I think those are the main four. How would you assess them? Uh, Henley so far has is you know athletically speaking he's probably the best linebacker to come through Wazoo in a, a very very long time just as far as his athleticism um, is concerned. Well, they had the same two guys starting for like half a decade. So well, yeah, I mean Jahan Woods had about forty two years worth of eligibility, right? So that was that was a very nice con- from a consistency standpoint. Um, I think. In terms of preferring, um, they, they had Maui Goa and Brown with an oar on the depth chart, and they certainly rotated through the two of them um, a lot in the first couple of games. Brown was hurt last week, so he didn't play against ah. Colorado State. I think even if it was just a small nick up, they were satisfied to not do play. You know, because, is he, do you know what his status is going to be for Oregon? Uh, they, I, I believe Dickert said that he should be healthy enough to play, um, even if he's on a pitch count, so to speak, right, where he, he doesn't necessarily play the entire game, but he does play um, some of the game. Um, so I think it's a played, deep enough group that it would be okay to hold him. Yeah, out. And, and I think my only not the only knock on Maui Goa has has really been like assignment wise of the four. He's the only guy who kind of has trouble with assignments and he, he does his tackling has suffered a little bit. I will say the one thing about this defense is they do not miss tackles like they, they oh, I, yeah. I have not seen. Well, I can't believe we've gone 50 minutes without talking about this. It's the yeah. number one thing that's improved about Wazoo yeah. compared to previous iterations of Wazoo, where like the defense, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to be mean about this, but the, I often just barely wrote about the defense because it was such a joke. Um, and in particular, because like missed tackles all over the place. Wazoo's not missing tackles this year. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was kind of wild to me that um, somebody's somebody's objecting to my analysis here. <laughs> well, they're not very happy with it. Um, Some Huskies fan. In yeah, I know. Well, yeah, probably the poor kids in pajamas. Um, you know, uh, I think what's really surprised me about it, though, you know, to your point is that even if there's like one missed tackle, there's like four guys right behind the defender to go ahead uh-huh. and the tackle anyway. They have really been doing a good job swarming to the football and. but but even then you know like this is just not they they tackle so soundly that even if the ball carrier manages to escape a little bit you've at least delayed him long enough that now you've got some extra crimson jerseys over there who can get on that football it's been wild to see them do that maui go has kind of been the only weak point in that but even then i mean i'm we're talking about a pretty minor you know um a value you know knock on him and again he just assignment wise sometimes he gets a little lost and he wants to kind of overplay something and you know really try to bust you know bust the offensive line when really what he needs to be doing and i think the thing with brian ward's defense is just just play your assignment and be disciplined about it and they've done a really good job of that this year and i think that's helped them an awful lot um so so yeah and i Brown will play, um, or he should. At least they've given the indication that he will. But whether he's on a pitch count or not, we'll find out. Um, I'm interested to see um, exactly how much he's out there. But as long as Henley and Thornton um, are out there as well, they should be pretty okay at that position. That, that again, you know, to like what you talked about earlier with the line, there's some depth there, um, and they can afford they can afford for Brown to not play as much as maybe you would want him to um, ordinarily. Michael Preston. 
of the Coog Center. That is at Coog Center on Twitter. That is at RM underscore Preston, P-R-E-S-T-O-N. Michael, will you do us a favor? Even if you beat us this Saturday, even no matter what happens for the rest of the season, when it comes down to that last game, will you please beat the Huskies? If not for us, do, do it for all the Hus- for all the Wazoo fans out there. <laughs> You know, you know, guys. Uh, we always try every year, um, and it's been it's been uh, a little tough. Um, I will say, uh, when we beat them this last year, we were actually we were visiting family in North Carolina for Thanksgiving, and uh, we were flying home because it's the only direct flight. We're flying home during the game, and I, my wife asked me, she's like, "Do you mind if we fly home during the game?" I'm like, "Ah, eh, we're gonna lose. Who cares?" <laughs> oh boy! So, so exactly, I was the goober, I was the goober who. Right before we took off, I was like, okay, I'll buy the internet and I'll just follow it on Google, the Google score. And I, I followed it and they won. And so we got home from the East Coast at, you know, 10 p.m. I had a two-year-old or a one-and-a-half-year-old I put down to bed and I still watched my recording of the game. I went to bed at 1.30 in the morning. She woke up at 3.30 and it was totally worth it. Totally, totally <laughs> Michael, worth it. now you got to be on an airplane every time for the Apple Look, yeah. you got to like charter that, a jet. If that's, what, if that's what it takes, then I will take that hit for everybody. And uh, I <laughs> Michael, do you think uh, next time the Apple Cup is in is in Seattle, do you think me wearing full organ gear – do you think I could just hide among the the Wazoo fan? Do you think they would accept me as just as more of a hater of Washington than a lover of Wazoo? Yeah, I was I was about to say I think as long as you were rooting against Washington, um, oh yeah, or the term open arms um, comes to <laughs> like, like nobody's gonna be like, oh, we're so glad you're here, but some, but everybody, <laughs> oh yeah, fine, like that's like, I would I would imagine the ex- yeah. the the spite that I was throwing towards the Huskies maybe give that'll me some help. credit. That'll help. That'll help you. That'll help you. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Well, Michael Preston, thanks again for joining us on this. This has been really fun. Thanks for putting up with the technical difficulties while I'm waiting for my car to get an oil change. Hey, no worries. And then uh, Hithla Day, always good talking to you too. Take care, guys. All right. uh, Go Ducks and go Cougs. Yeah, I said it. Go Cougs. All right. Bye.